So we can be optimistic, but only when we understand the problem, sit with the fear, but for just a moment, because we quickly need to move forward, right? Not move forward like driven by the problem and the fear, but we have to be driven instead by the solutions. Hello, everyone. This is Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for listening to The Optimistic Outlook. When people ask me for career advice, one thing I often share is find a company that aligns with your personal why. I've always wanted to use technology to solve really tough problems and change the world. And I get to do this every day at Siemens, where we use our technologies for infrastructure and industry to shape a more resilient, equitable, sustainable future, including by addressing the big existential threat we all face through climate change. So let's think for a minute about the year 2030. Eight years from now, Siemens aims to have net zero global operations, sourcing all of our power from green electricity. And 2030 doesn't just represent a critical sustainability milestone for Siemens, it's a big one for the United States. By then, the Biden administration has established the target of eliminating half of America's greenhouse gas emissions. And yes, that's a big goal. But it's an achievable one if we accelerate the use of readily available technology. Now, in the last episode, you heard me talk about our efforts to transform energy grids and our commitment to investing in and helping to build a national EV charging network. These are two critical pieces of decarbonization advanced by the bipartisan infrastructure law. Our guest today, Chad Frischman, is going to broaden our view even more. I familiarized myself with Chad's work by listening to his TED Talk, 100 Solutions to Reverse Global Warming. We'll link to it in our show notes. Chad is also the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. And as we get into our discussion, you're going to hear Chad talk about his latest venture, regenerative intelligence. Now, Chad is going to use terms like regenerative in the conversation. And before we get into this, I'll define another term you just heard, drawdown. This one was pioneered by Chad to help us visualize a moment in time when the concentration of atmospheric greenhouse gases begins to decline annually. Take a listen. Chad, it's great to have you with us. Hi, Barbara. It's great to be here today with you. In a minute, we'll be talking about Drawdown, and I have way more questions than I could ever fit into this episode. But before we even get into it, I have to ask you, what was the spark that led you to even start working on this enormous project? And tell us about your current endeavors. Thanks, Barbara. You know, it's kind of funny because a lot of people, when they encounter my work at Drawdown, they say to me, well, you must be a climate scientist. You developed all these sophisticated, complex systems models to evaluate climate solutions. Actually, going into Drawdown, I was working in a very different space. I was working in the nexus between uh, indigenous and local people's rights and well-being, environmental conservation, and sustainable development. Working in that space brought me and led me to Drawdown, led me to find Paul Hawken and Amanda Joy Ravenhill. And together we created, created Project Drawdown with this sort of, you know, kind of like audacious idea of what if we had the solutions to stop global warming and begin the process of reversing it? What would those solutions be? 
And what would we need, what would we need to do to get there? And that's where I am today. After eight years of working with Project Drawdown from start to where we are right now, I completed what I set out to do in, 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 in mapping, modeling, and, and measuring, and describing, communicating what that system of solutions is for climate. And now my team and I have launched Regenerative Intelligence, a new organization designed to help steward that regenerative future, to help guide decision makers towards real existing solutions that solve for climate, yes, and solve for sustainability, and then go beyond to real system change to a new operating manual for the earth that we live in. A new operating manual for the earth. Well, I I do want to dig a little deeper into a couple of these thoughts. I mean, one is uh, we do talk a lot about climate change. We talk about the climate crisis. I've been getting our listeners focused on climate action because that gets us more zoomed in on solutions. But in your work, you've been very clearly pointing to global warming itself as a core issue. Tell us about that perspective. Well, global warming is a reality. It is what we're facing now. You're experiencing it today in Washington, D.C., where you are, where I am here right now in California and all over the world, we're experiencing global warming, which is a function, it's a product of everything we do as a human species. All our areas of economic activity from uh, you know, electricity generated when we turn our lights from coal, oil, and gas fire plants to burning of long dead phytoplankton from our towel pipes and internal combustion engines to move from point A to point B, right? To moving around the world, to all the food that we consume, what we're consuming, literally everything we do produces emissions, greenhouse gases that cause global warming. And global warming is what causes climate change. Change So that what we're experiencing with climate change is a function of increased temperatures that is a function, again, of our system. So we have to be grounded in understanding what that problem is. And we also have to sit for just a moment in the reality of the fear, the, the frightening fear of the catastrophe of what could happen if we don't change the collapse of everything, the emergency that we're in. We have to sit with that because if we don't, we're putting our heads in the sand and that's not real optimism. That's being blinded. So we can be optimistic, but only when we understand the problem, sit with the fear, but for just a moment, because we quickly need to move forward, right? Not move forward like driven by the problem and the fear, but we have to be driven instead by the solutions, thinking about the solutions and not be motivated by the fear and the terrifying realities of not doing anything and the apathy that that creates, but be motivated by the possibility of what those solutions can actually achieve. Yeah, you and I share this same definition of optimism, right? It's not about, it really isn't about <laughs> rose-colored or even fully blank glasses. You know, some people say, oh, you're, you're just looking on the, the sunny side of things. No, no, no. In, in optimism, we actually search for that ground truth. Where are we? We've got to know where we are. And then optimism is confidence that we're going to find solutions going forward. And, and, and I want to get there in just a minute, talking about the facts about where we are. But, but there is one other term I want to make sure we dig into. Regenerative. This is a new term for a lot of our audience. What mm-hmm. is the regenerative model? 
That's a good question. And there's lots of definitions out there. And I think the best way to think about regenerative is moving from a system which we currently operate, which is based on extraction and exploitation, moving from that system to a new normal, a new way of doing business that's by nature restorative and regenerative. So it creates abundance, right? It's a different mindset. It's we see a lot of a lot of terminology. We see sustainability. We see circular economy. These are all stepping stones towards an ultimately mindset shift to a regenerative system. A regenerative system is a system based on life, where we're emulating nature itself. Ecosystem, right? Ecosystems. What is an ecosystem? An ecosystem are billions of solutions, billions of solutions in every ecosystem. That have evolved to work in tandem for one goal: to ensure that life thrives in abundance. Right? Our human, economic, and social systems in a regenerative world, a regenerative future, is does exactly that. It's billions of solutions to ensure that all life thrives in abundance. Beautiful. So. It regenerates. We we it yields abundance, and so here's the the mindset that we look to have as we continue our conversation. But as we do, let's get grounded in the facts as they are. When it comes to global warming, are we making progress, and do we need to be more clear-eyed about the scale of the challenge? Absolutely. First of all, we are making progress. We're making huge progress. Compared to where we were, which was not doing much at all, to be honest, we we're making you know slight improvements to the system for a long, long time. In the last decade, I really have seen a lot of shifting happening、um, at all scales, really at, at the individual scale, which is incredibly important for the bottom-up action to take place. Right, individuals do have a role.、Um, Top down, we are seeing governments taking action, even though it is not close to their NDCs, the nationally determined commitments、uh, to achieve the Paris Agreement. They're not getting there as fast enough, but they're still making large strides forward、uh, compared to what they were used to doing. And and I think more importantly,、um, and absolutely essential, are businesses and investors. They are taking a lot more action, still slowly. But a lot more than they were before, and it's really businesses and capital, the holders and purveyors of capital, that need to move. We do need to make substantive strides forward. We're not even close to the trajectories that we need to be on, but I'm seeing a lot of action, a lot of movement happening across scales,、uh, far faster, far more than than was previously. So if we can continue that, and then double, triple, quadruple the the rate of acceleration, I think we can get onto these trajectories that we need to be on. To get to that two degrees Celsius warming target that we, the IPC says is the bare minimum, and more importantly, the one point five degrees Celsius warming target. But, but Barbara, I want to I want to clarify something, and this is really important for the work around regenerative thinking and regener, regenerative intelligence. We have to go beyond the targets, right? If we set ourselves a target of one point five degrees Celsius warming, well, it's kind of a half measure, and there's. There's no certainty about what the impacts of that are actually going to be on our natural and social and economic systems. There's still going to be impact, and that's that's simply a reality of the situation. 
But if we set ourselves that one target, we're not doing justice to where we actually need to be in the future. We have to set the marker on the horizon point of where we actually want to be as a species on this planet and go there and along the way achieve these targets, achieve our climate targets, our sustainable development targets, and so on. But we have to set that marker on the horizon or else we risk going halfway there and not really solving the problem. Well, let's talk about solutions then. And just I'll share that for the section that we're talking through now, we read through Project Drawdown's follow-up report that you issued in 2020. And one promising insight here is that Drawdown, the point at which the concentration of atmospheric greenhouse gases begin to decline annually, can be achieved by mid-century, by scaling climate solutions we already have. There's no need to wait for new ideas or some new technology. We just need to act. Uh, But here's something that caught my attention. The report lays out that we could get there as early as the mid-2040s, as you say, on our way to where we want to be as a species, or perhaps as late as the 2060s. It depends on our level of ambition. And Chad, I want us to get there. I want, to get, I want us to get there early. So what do we need to do? How do we get there even faster? In order to get there by 2040, we have to mobilize all sectors of society. So I touched upon a little earlier that that's the idea of the businesses, investors, institutions need to change. That's where we're going to see the biggest growth. There are so many more technologies that are out there. And in fact, we already, since, since the 2020 report that you just referred to, we've, we've already released 11 new solutions. And these are global scale solutions. But there are so many more solutions that are uh, really important in different contexts, in local contexts, regional contexts, that may not make that list of 90 plus solutions at the Project Drawdown, but that are really, really important for climate and, again, for all those other cascading benefits. And they already exist today. There are so many, there are so many companies, so many individuals, so many organizations that are working on solutions. And as I said earlier, we need to innovate the hell out of them. So not thinking about the next big technology, the next silver bullet or five silver bullets, because they don't exist. There's a little secret there, Barbara. When all these folks talk, talk about the next big technology that's going to solve the problem, none of them exist. My point is, is that instead of envisioning what that next technology is, inventing it and making that, we can take the technology that we have today and innovate them, make them more efficient, more cost-effective, scalable, more resource productive, using less materials, changing those materials, right? So that we're not extracting as much, we're actually maybe growing our materials, so changing the materials that, uh, uh, to make the technologies and practices themselves, to so make it more resource productive and make them more efficient. I'd love to get your take on a technology that we at Siemens are involved in. You see, we're helping our customers with net zero carbon buildings and greening the grid. Uh, it, we're, we're getting to more distributed renewable power. Uh, we've been focused on building the EV charging infrastructure to make it possible for all new car sales to be EVs by the end of the decade. And all of these efforts have been accelerated by the bipartisan infrastructure law. I'd love to get your take on how you see these solutions helping us to achieve drawdown. Thanks, Barbara. And it's so commendable that Siemens is taking this kind of action because we need that. This is what we call an enabling 
technology, right? So you're in, we are enabling the adoption and, and, and acceleration of that, hopefully 100% of all new car sales being EVs. We need to accelerate that by providing infrastructure that allows that to actually happen. If we don't do the infrastructure, we're not going to be able to get there. So it's, it's so important to be investing in a, a charging stations, for example, so that but electric vehicles powered by a renewable energy system, so a 100% clean renewable grid, powering that electric vehicles, powering through your charge, through Siemens and others, you know, charging stations that are out there in the world, that is the future. That is part of a regenerative built environment. You know, Chad, there's another thing about buildings, grids, transportation that are more sustainable. They are also healthier. Mm-hmm. They help us address pollution. They help us breathe cleaner air when we know that air quality itself is a crisis in need of our full attention. And it was a point you made in your TED Talk that really leapt out at me, that even if we didn't have a crisis to respond to, we would still want to make this transition to a regenerative society. Share your perspective with us. We have to solve climate change. And if that could be the catalyst to do so much else, so much more that we need to do, why wouldn't we do it, right? It's kind of like an aha moment. When you go through all of those cascading benefits, it's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Yes, we want to do that. Because they're the same solutions, like renewable energy infrastructure systems, for example. They're the exact same solutions that we need to improve our air quality, to create abundant electricity for all people, right? This is a human right. Electricity is a human right for people. And if we want to extend grids, and provide that energy to people to improve their livelihoods and their outcomes, right? We should do that with clean, renewable energy because it's healthier. And that leads us to the final question that I love to ask in this podcast, which is when you think about the effect, if we're successful at building our regenerative future, if we if we reach that point where we actually now are bringing things under control and there's a drawdown of carbon emissions, what does the world look like? It's a world where our built environment is working in tandem and in concert with nature, where we're a planet positive species united together in collaboration, linking arms, an entirely new way of doing business, where we just now are seeing the kernels of. Because the decisions that we make today are the most important decisions that our species has ever made in the entire history of our time on this planet. And the decisions we make will impact us now, will impact our children tomorrow and our grandchildren to come. So it's really important to see in that future where our children and our children's children, all future generations are living in prosperity and abundance, and all of our systems are working to ensure that life thrives in abundance. And that's that vision that we can make and decisions we can make right now. Well, Chad, as a grandmother, I thank you for all your work. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure, Barbara. Thank you. You know, we've gotten in the mindset of addressing crisis. What I appreciate about Chad's point of view is that this idea that, yes, we know there's an urgent need to accelerate climate action, but we aren't just trying to save the planet, we're working to improve it. 
a regenerative future will improve our lives and strengthen our economies. So I hope you've learned a lot from today's episode, and you can learn even more by heading over to our show notes for more resources. As always, I thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And if you have comments, feedback, or ideas for collaboration, send us an email at optimist.us at siemens.com.